Fighting rages on multiple fronts as counteroffensive continues. Cassandra Vinograd Cassandra Vinograd Vivek Shankar Anton Troyanovsky Olivia Wong KYIV, Ukraine, a few weeks into Ukraine's long-anticipated counteroffensive against Russia, a Ukrainian official said Monday that fierce fighting was raging on multiple fronts as she reported small gains over the past week in the east and south. Over the weekend, Hannah Maliar, a deputy Ukrainian defense minister, called the situation on the battlefield quite complicated and hot everywhere. On Monday morning, she said that Kyiv's forces had recaptured another 10.9 square miles in southern Ukraine over the past week and that offensive actions there continued. The situation in eastern Ukraine, where Russian forces have been making a push with attacks on Lyman and Avdiivka in the Donetsk region, was less clear. Ms. Maliar said that heavy fighting was taking place, but that Ukrainian troops had advanced in the direction of Bakhmut. Her statements could not be independently verified. The counteroffensive, which got underway last month, has been slow and grueling. Ukrainian forces have faced staunch Russian defenses, mounting casualties and fields full of landmines. Kyiv's forces have notched mostly small gains, breaking through a first line of Russian defenses and reclaiming several farming villages in the eastern Donetsk region and the southern Zaporizhia region. The State of the War Prigazin's Mutiny As Belarus has ratcheted up its messaging about plans to offer refuge, and possibly work, to Wagner Group mercenaries after a failed rebellion in Russia, Ukrainian forces say they are ready for a potential threat from their neighbor to the north. Land Mines a leading human rights group, accused, Ukraine of firing 15 rockets at Russian forces, each containing hundreds of banned small antipersonnel landmines. In Kramatorsk A Russian missile strike on a popular restaurant killed at least 11 people, wounded dozens more, and showed the peril of trying to claim pieces of ordinary life during war. Inside a battlefield hospital we spent a week inside a military field hospital in eastern Ukraine to capture the work of combat medics who are racing every day to save the lives of wounded soldiers. KYIV, Ukraine, Victoria Aimlina, one of Ukraine's best-known young writers, has died from injuries sustained in a Russian missile strike on a crowded restaurant in eastern Ukraine. She was 37. Her death brought to 13 the number of civilians killed in the attack on the Ria Lounge restaurant in the city of Kramatorsk on June 27. Ms. Aimlina was dining with a Colombian delegation when the missile ripped into the restaurant. She was treated for severe injuries and died on Saturday. Doctors and paramedics in Kramatorsk and Dnipro did everything they could to save her life, the writers' group PN Ukraine said in a statement late Sunday. It added, in the last days of Victoria's life, her closest people and friends were with her. The news jolted Ukraine's writing and journalism community, which has lost dozens of its own since Russia's full-scale invasion began last year. Days before the attack, Ms. Aimlina had attended the Kiev Book Arsenal, a large literary festival in Ukraine's capital. So many books unwritten, stories untold, days unlived, Olga Tokariuk, a Ukrainian journalist, posted on Twitter in tribute. Born in Lviv, Ms. Aimlina was widely known in Ukraine for her novels, children's books, poems and essays. 
After publishing her first book in 2014, she left a job in information technology the following year to fully devote herself to writing. She received awards and acclaim for her work. In 2021, she won the Joseph Konrad Korsniowski's Literary Prize, given to a Ukrainian writer under 40, and started a small literature festival in the Donetsk region. The following year, Ms. Aimlina joined a human rights organization, Truth Hounds, to investigate Russian war crimes in areas reclaimed by Ukrainian forces. She also was working on her first nonfiction book in English, about Ukrainian women documenting war crimes, Penn Ukraine said. She brought a literary sensibility to her work and her elegant prose described, with forensic precision, the devastating impact of these human rights violations on the lives of Ukrainians, the organization's U.S.-based arm, PEN America, said in a statement. Ms. Aim Lina had regularly chronicled the experience of living amid war. I'm a Ukrainian writer. I have portraits of great Ukrainian poets on my bag. I look like I should be taking pictures of books, art, and my little son. But I document Russia's war crimes and listen to the sound of shelling, not poems. Why? She wrote on Twitter in June 2022. In a flood of tributes after the attack, friends and colleagues cited her words, first in prayers for her recovery, and again upon the news of her death. One verse, in particular, seemed to strike a chord an air raid across the country. Each time like going to everyone's execution. Yet they aim at only one. Days before the strike in Kramatorsk, Ms. Aimlina wrote about hearing the sound of explosions from her balcony. The war is when you can no longer follow all news and cry about all neighbors who died instead of you a couple of miles away, she tweeted. Still, I want to not forget to learn the names. A week before a NATO summit, Sweden is intensifying efforts to join the alliance, a move prompted by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Prime Minister Wolf Christensen of Sweden will meet on Wednesday with President Biden at the White House, where they will discuss Sweden's bid to join NATO and their shared commitment to supporting Ukraine. In addition to the meeting in Washington, work on Sweden's campaign to join NATO will continue in Brussels after the Secretary-General of the Alliance, Jens Stoltenberg, scheduled a meeting on Thursday with senior officials from Finland, Sweden and Turkey, according to the Associated Press. Objections from Turkey and Hungary have delayed Sweden's bid. NATO's member summit takes place next week in Lithuania, where Mr. Biden will be among the leaders attending. He is also set to visit Britain and Finland next week. Economic Forum Vitaly Klitschko, the mayor of Kiev, is scheduled to participate in the opening session of an annual European Economic Forum in Aixen Province, France, on Friday. The theme of the conference this year is Renewing Hope, and Mr. Klitschko's address is expected to focus on hope in a violent world. Evan Gershkovich Russia's detention of the journalist, an American who works for the Wall Street Journal, will reach 100 days on Thursday. The U.S. government has said his arrest is tantamount to being a political prisoner. Geopolitics and Sports 
The war continues to generate controversy in professional tennis, which has allowed Russian and Belarusian players to compete only as neutral athletes. As Wimbledon gets underway on Monday in London, a contender for the women's singles title is the number two ranked Belarusian Irina Sabalenka, who has said she will not take questions about the war during the two week tournament. Amanda E. Newman, Justin Jones, Valerie Hopkins, and Megan Spisha contributed reporting. The Biden administration asked Ukrainian officials not to conduct covert attacks inside Russia as the Wagner Group rebellion was underway and advised them not to do anything that would influence the outcome of events or take advantage of the chaos, according to American officials. At the time of the American outreach to Ukraine, U.S. officials did not know precisely what Yevgeny Prigozhin, the head of Wagner, had planned, according to U.S. officials briefed on the intelligence, but they knew that Mr. Prigozhin wanted to take military action to force Sergei K. Shoigu, the Minister of Defense, and General Valery V. Gerasimov, the Chief of the General Staff, from power. They did not know how he intended to do that, or what he intended to do with them, said the officials, who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss sensitive intelligence. The outreach came soon after Mr. Prigozhin began his rebellion, officials said. In urging Kiev to exercise caution, U.S. officials did not want to give President Vladimir V. Putin an excuse to claim that Mr. Prigozhin's rebellion was orchestrated by the United States or by Ukraine. They also said they believed that any high-profile operation by Ukrainian forces inside Russia was unlikely to have any major effect on Mr. Prigozhin's goals, but would allow Mr. Putin to level accusations against the West, according to American assessments. American officials specifically told Ukrainian officials that it was not the time to undertake cross-border attacks or covert sabotage missions, or to engage in any gamesmanship that Kyiv might think could give them an advantage in the war. U.S. officials said that as far as they knew, Ukrainian intelligence units acquiesced. Just three months ago, China's top leader, Xi Jinping, was in Moscow clinking glasses with Vladimir V. Putin and expressing his confidence in the firm support the Russian president enjoyed among his people. That confidence is now in question after the Wagner private military group waged an insurrection in Russia that has shaken Mr. Putin's image of invulnerability. Close watchers of China say that the mutiny, short-lived as it was, could lead Mr. Xi to hedge a close relationship with Russia that had already exposed Beijing to global criticism and threatened some of its interests abroad. China views Russia as a necessary partner in challenging the global order dominated by the United States. But Mr. Putin's appetite for risk, seen in his invasion of Ukraine and his reliance on private armies, has forced Beijing to defend its bond with Russia in the face of Western pressure. Mr. Xi's long-term bet will work only if Mr. Putin remains in control to help uphold the shared interests of both countries. But the revolt has raised questions about Mr. Putin's authority, Wagner soldiers faced little to no resistance from regular Russian forces as they advanced on Moscow. And Mr. Putin's decision to grant sanctuary in Belarus to Yevgeny V. Prigozhin, the leader of the uprising, smacked of a compromise rather than the act of a strongman with consolidated power. It makes China realize that the Putin government's internal politics are actually quite fragile, said Xiaobin, a researcher for the Institute of Russian, East European and Central Asian Studies at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. The fragility existed before, but it has increased ever since the start of the Russia-Ukraine war. 
China has publicly reaffirmed its support for the Kremlin following the insurrection, and analysts say the relationship is likely to remain strong, at least on the outside, because of how the two leaders' interests align. But the mutiny has likely also forced Beijing to consider how its own geopolitical, economic and territorial interests would be affected if Mr. Putin were to suddenly be toppled. That could lead China to distance itself from Russia to some degree to protect its own interests. In the 23 years Mr. Putin has been in power, Russia's relations with China have improved markedly from the Soviet era and the days of President Boris Yeltsin, when the two sides sent dozens of military divisions to face off against each other along the 2,600-mile border they share. Any regime change in Russia now would prompt an instant reckoning for the relationship. China would be concerned that a new Russian leader would realign the nation toward a friendlier posture with the United States, Mr. Xiao said. That could leave China isolated in its rivalry with the United States and expose it to more pressure. Chris Buckley contributed reporting from Taipei and Keith Bradshaw from Beijing.